Good morning, and welcome to another exciting edition of Day 4 with the man Frank Scalish, where he will be taking all of your questions today. And I've never known a question that Frank doesn't have an answer to, so get him in on your comments, the uh, instant feedback, whether you're... uh, if you're listening on YouTube, is the only place you're listening live. So get those questions in while we take care of some business. And then we also have a stack of questions that were submitted via email from our listeners. Frank, are you uh, are you surviving the middle of January? It's not a pleasant time to be a bass fisherman right now in the majority of the country. Yeah, I, I um, this is my least favorite thing that occurs is when you get that Alberta clipper that comes down from Canada. It funnels all the cold, you know, all the cold down here. And like we've had single digit days or nights anyhow for the last four or five days. Most of our water's locked up now. Um, Some guys I know are getting out on the ice. Um, But then next week we're going to have four days of rain. And so this time of year is real, it's real iffy. I I actually hate this time of year because uh, anytime I can't be outside drives me mental. So, And there's not enough ice right now. Is there enough ice now for ice fishing or is that still sketchy? Very, very sketchy. Um, Very sketchy. It's getting better. um, But, you know, we're going to next week, it's going to have rain and it's going to ruin everything. Yeah, this is a good time of the month to take care of activities, you know. Yeah, I mean traditionally what I do now is I'll get I'll get all my power rods together, um clean all the rods, check all the guides. I actually um I actually wax them and um it's the time they, of the year where you spend a lot of time waxing your rod up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, I just heard. Okay, so ba- so basically, <laughs> so basically, we're going down that road. No, no, been, no. That's a good. Been, that's a good tip uh, to check on the rods. <laughs> I did the. I got the exact same thing. I got my pile of Denali's in the corner. There's about thirty of them. I've got a pile that yeah. has. So I'm really bad about after a tournament just jamming them back in the rod box. And, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I do the same thing, but um. I do try, I do keep up with my equipment as the season goes on. So, so like once a month I'll, I'll take everything out and clean it all. And, uh, yeah, I walked into that one, dude. I knew that was coming new shirt, (laughs) but, um, you know, and so I try to keep up with it throughout the year, but in the winter time, that's when I'm going to go through at least when I can't get out in the open water i'll go and i'll take apart all the reels i'll clean off the gears i'll clean everything out i'll re Mm -hmm. redo everything um it's a process because i'm like you matt i've got probably 40 rods and reels and um you know because we we as we as bass guys we we treat all of our rods like golf clubs every rod Mm -hmm. has a specific task and when you're in the tournament game unless you're going as a non-boater where you have to have you know one stick will do triple duty you know what i mean but as a boater in the tournament world um instead of taking the time to re-rig everything on the water every time you'll have a rod set up for every scenario. So if things change, you just reach in the rod locker, pull one out, you're good to go. Um, so it's very important to keep up on your equipment. The last thing you want to do is dive in your rod locker, reach in there, grab, grab a reel and you haven't re-spooled it all year. And then, you know, then you have issues with break-offs and all That's that. That's the one you just crap. give to your buddy. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally good, man. Just strip off about 10 yards. So sometimes mm-hmm. I also take a break for a couple of weeks. Like, it's good. Like, I'm just kind of at the end of that. I've been really in, but, you know, go do something different, hang out, do something, just take a week or two off, watch some TV shows, Netflix binge. Right, right. Take the wife or girlfriend on a date, that type of thing. So there's nothing wrong with that. No. Speaking about dates, dude, I saw you posted, you guys had cowboy hats on. What's up with that? Oh, yeah. I was talking with Matt Stefan about it. So uh, Mike runs the uh, Fort Worth stock show and rodeo gotcha and he listens to btl and he uh chris uh, he's down in texas for night with him over uh 
Uh, I met him at the classic one time and then just messaged with him over Instagram. And since he runs it, he has like front row seats every night. It's like 24 days long. The Stockworth or Stockworth, Fort Worth stock show at Rodeo. So it was Bulls Night Out. So he invited us and and Chris and Trait. We went down there. We ate at his restaurant, Riata's. And it's it's authentic Texas cuisine. It's legit. I guess he's got a number of uh, restaurants that he owns in the fort, but it was, you know, steak and shrimp. But then it was it was, it was phenomenal. And then we went Perfect. and watched the some of the best bull riders in the in the country. So what a what a cool scene that is. But yeah, so ninety percent of the people there had the old cowboy hat on. So I had to. You had to blend, man. You had. I to loved blend. it. It was fun. It was it was a like I said, it was one of those evenings where. Uh, even though we were with fishing people and the relationships are made through fishing, we really didn't talk about fishing much. We just enjoyed it. And uh, it's cool to watch professionals like the bulls know what's up. The people who keep them safe, the, the bullfighters know what's up. And I think there was, there was one guy who limped off and it was because he was riding with, with uh, bone spurs in both hips and two torn ACLs. <laughs> Like before he even got on, before he even got on the bull, he was yeah. already, he was already hurting. But, well, I mean, you got to expect that, that that's not, you know, for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah. If you guys are in the uh, Fort Worth area, uh, let me see if I could find it here. We'll give him a, we'll give him a little plug. It's uh give him a shout out. Riata's restaurant, R E A T A restaurant. Like I said, I think he's got a number, a number of them. It's on uh, Houston street. And they call it Texas cuisine. It's good stuff. Excellent. Like, I mean, we're talking like. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Come on. So that's what that's what they had. So he did like pop up restaurants at uh, at the uh, by Dickie's Arena and moves his entire restaurant for basically a month next door. So you can go eat and then go to the rodeo. Dang. They do it big in Texas. You ever they? known a bull rider? They're a different breed. No, I've never, I've never known one personally. No. no, I had so in my early, in my late twenties and early thirties, I had a desire to do the Oklahoma hat trick, which I guess you could also call a Texas hat trick. I think we've talked about this on the show before, which is where you noodle a catfish, ride a bull, and knife a boar all in the same day. Perfect. <laughs> now, as I'm approaching forty, I think that's a great way. To really hurt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just think about any of those three, and I'm like, that is rife with danger. Oh, yeah, that's uh, 100%, dude. Uh, my dad my dad and my brother went down to Florida to, to knife boars, and they took videos of it. And, and actually, like, I'm a hunter, and um, I, get, I get the whole thing, but um, th- that, was, that was savage. It was savage, dude. It is. Uh, speaking of something else that is savage, I was perusing the LureNet.com website, and the front page has some colors that look strikingly familiar to something that you uh, might have your hands all over. Is that we haven't talked about this? Of the, I hopefully I'm not leading you down a wrong path. Those look like Frank Scalish colors in the baby ends. Yeah, they they actually they are. They're they're in the deep baby end and the middle end. Um, I have three limited edition crawdad colors that I did, um, and they're finally out, which is great. Uh, they're really cool. I actually have them. Oh, have, well, that's I even have better. That's, hold have, on. Let me cancel this. There you go. I mean, so 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 the, the this is the deep – here, I'll just pull a different color in the deep baby end. So this is the deep baby end here, and then this is the middle end. And uh, – this is the, this is table rock craw this is red swamp craw so these two colors these two crawdad colors i designed um and they're real they're really bad to the bone but more than the color cuz there's another color out it's called orange belly craw that one's that's the one i had my eye on for the ozarks yeah, this is a this is a this is a killer in the Ozark. So orange belly cross. So so at any rate, so deep avian, middle end, and and here and they're both they're about the same size, okay, but they do different things. And this is what I want to talk about. So I'm gonna drop I'm dropping the deep baby I'm dropping the deep baby end down and 
getting to go with the middle end. So if you see the middle end, you see how that build design is. Now, remember, these lures were designed a ton of years ago. All right. This bait here, you see how the build design is. Th this mm -hmm. bait here walks over and crawls through rocks like nobody's business. Th this is my go-to bait in the early spring when the water temperatures are cold and you're casting 45 degree banks with boulders and rocks on them. Um, it's very similar to when people fish the uh, wiggle ward or the rock crawler. Th this is, this is pretty much what I'm throwing because I grew up with it and, and it's been, it was around forever basically. Um, so this is what I do in that situation, but here the deep baby end, this, the deep baby end will run about, oh, I'm going to say six to eight feet where this one, where the middle end runs seven to nine feet. So when I'm in those, that early spring period, I'm throwing both of them. Okay. Uh, be, and the reason being is because the, the middle, the middle end is going to crawl over the boulders and, and has a really good deflection characteristic to it where the deep baby end will come through the rocks equally as good, but the deep baby end comes through brush really well, which you wouldn't think about it because of the, the skinny round bill on it, but it does. I actually uh, was fishing this thing a couple springs ago and um, I was catching them out of buck brush. And for anybody that has seen buck brush, it's got a lot of little branches on it. And I was running this thing right through the tops of the buck brush. In fact, I think we got we got a couple videos of that. Hold um, on, you sent them to me, like as the show was going on. Oh, well, so yeah, gotta... because I'm a last minute kind of guy, dude. <laughs> okay, we'll try this one. I don't think we'll have audio for it. No, there's no audio. Yeah, well, I mean, I won't. You, we won't be able to hear each other for the next five seconds. But if yeah. you're listening on iTunes, it's a uh, well. We'll run it and then we'll describe it. There's one. That's the that's the deep ABN. Yeah, that's the deep ABN. So you you see you you would never ever in a million years think you're going to get this bait through that stuff. I'm going to run the other one. Yeah, but I, yeah, run the other one, and then I'm going to show you. I'm going to tell you the trick to get it through there. Okay, Go here's ahead. the other one. Yeah. Coming through there like a hot knife through butter. Right. I mean, it's so here's the whole key when when you're fishing this thing through the through the brush tops. OK. You just keep it moving. You don't don't speed it up. Don't snap it through. Just keep it moving. So it's almost so, like you're fishing a biffle bug. Right. Exactly. So if you see the first video we played, how the rod line was loading up because it was coming through and over a branch deeper than we could get the camera visibility and then all of a sudden it just walks around and comes right through it um that that's the whole trick but that's why i throw these two baits in conjunction with each other because you you when you're going down a bank if you see a blowdown this is the one you're going to want to put through the blowdown and when you're fishing the chunk rock you're going to throw the the deep middle on i mean the middle one, two, that, that's in my words, we call that a one-two punch. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because because you have, you know, no bank is created equal. They're not all the same, and they don't have all the same debris on them or the same cover on them. And so you may be running down a rock bank, and there's going to be a blowdown. There's going to be a couple of stumps. There might be a, a you know, a buck brush on the shallow side. So that's that's red swamp craw. And then that is table rock craw, and that's orange belly craw. Both both of the shapes, or both of the middle and the deep, same colors. Mm-hmm. Same colors. And the cool thing about it is there's color extensions in both of them, too. So, so these three craw colors are the limited you know, the limited runs, and then the color extensions have a lot more colors in them, and they're they're on lure net right now also uh 849 currently in stock on lure net.com are the these are 
these are limited. Yes, the the, the craw colors are limited. Um, the ones that are in the the um, color extensions, there's there's quite a few of them, so you'll be able to get them. Okay, and then I know that we had done a show. Oh, and and you know what else? The D the um, Speed End Junior has a, a, a color extension in it also. Is that up here yet? Um, it may be. It, I, it may be. The Speed I know Edge. how much they like when you when you uh, release things that aren't released yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do get a little. Hey, from time to time, I do get scolded. <laughs> you get a little, little phone call there. What? What's this? Okay, here, I'll just throw Speed and Junior. Yeah, Speed and Juniors. There you go. This one? They're, yeah, they should all be Speed and Juniors. Oh, yeah. So all those colors are now released. All the all the all the color extensions in the Speed and Junior are out now, so you'll be able to get them all. Wow! Yeah, there's it, some good colors in there, folks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's banging. I mean, it, it's banging. So yeah. So that was you know, that's it. And and you guys know. I mean, you got you guys know that I am a Norman freak machine. I've been fishing Norman crankbaits my entire life. Um. It's probably one of the it's probably one of the crankbait lines that I have such an intimate knowledge of just because I literally have been fishing these baits since I was a child almost um, since their inception. So I know a lot about them. Um, I've put them through the test. Uh, I love the fact that they're gel coated. It gives it makes them a little bit heavier. I love the mm -hmm. fact that they're made out of butyrate because it gives it a dark, deep knocking sound um, in the chamber. Uh, there's a lot. There's just so many good attributes to this bait. It's just it's one of my all time favorites. Um, I would probably say the next crankbait line that I have that I really like are the Fat Free series. Um, it's another it's another line that I've just you know, grew up fishing with, you know what I mean? So yeah. I have let the ball drop on the clothing, which I said, we're, we're going to have the clothing release before the classic, but now we have some competition. Now this is not on the lure net site. This is on Jason Christie's personal website. Have you seen his new drop? I have not. I think I, you'll like it. I look at that. <laughs> I do slow roll, baby. It's got that booyah spinner bait. Oh yeah, with, and it says "slow roll" behind it. That's a good that's, shirt. That's pretty good, right there. Yeah, that's it? a good shirt. I'm gonna take my hat off to that. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to get to some questions? We got anything else to cover before we hit the Q and A section of the program, Uncle Frank? No, I think we should let her rip. All right. Uh, I will kind of alternate. I'm gonna scroll back up through all of the uh, streamyard questions and i love so the first one that i saw i love when someone asks a question and we're like oh we got an entire show on that so tp says drift socks again how to drift across the spot deploying this the sock cast placement are you drifting over the spot day four number 83 a full hour of diagrams and drift sock yeah. knowledge like literally every single thing you could ever know like i felt comfortable after that show that i could go out and deploy a drift sock and catch them so day four number 83 uh and those are the easiest questions to answer because you're like hey here's here's an hour or two hours on it yeah we that show i think we did that show was over an hour it was um, right at an hour okay right yeah. at an hour and that show there i got very detailed on exactly how to use your drift socks for fishing um everything you do with a drift shot drift sock is is for control and the, the speed that you want to bounce your bait over those rock piles or that structural element so check that show out because it's so detailed that nothing i can do in a minute is going to yep. give it justice uh lincoln would like to know if you've played around with hover strolling yet um, you know what? I, I, I haven't done the hover stroll yet, but, um, back in the day before they called things Demiki rigs and Ned rigs and hover strolling, um, I used to employ a light jig head and do the same thing. 
on the trolling motor, but I have not. I have not played with the tweaked versions. Uh, Antony, what situations would Uncle Frank Carolina rig with a lighter egg sinker weight? I know it carries a size than three quarters ounce, but what situation? Okay, so I I've, I do this a lot. Um, generally in the pre-spawn, uh, when the fish are staging on secondary points and shallow gravel bars leading up into their spawning areas, generally it's three to five feet deep. Um, I'll, I'll do a light, what I call a light text, a light Carolina rig. Um, I'll go down to a three eighths or even a quarter at sometimes, um, you know, barrel weight with my presentation one, because when I cast out there, I don't want that kabloom of the three quarter ounce. I want it a little lighter. It's shallower and, and I can fish it a little bit slower, um, or just keep it moving. In most cases, if I'm smallmouth fishing, I always try to keep it moving. I don't, I don't want the bait to just stop because smallmouth are like cats. Um, if you keep it going, they're interested, they're interested, they're interested, and then you pop it over a rock, boom, and then bang, um, they go after it. Sometimes if you're, if you're doing the smallmouth game, especially on inland lakes, the minute the bait stops, the bass lose interest. Uh, so I try to keep it moving, but that's usually when I use that technique. Sometimes on shallow grass flats, I'll also do the same thing um, where I don't want the, the, the heavy weight balling up in the, in the root balls. I want to keep it kind of slithering through and slithering along, but those are about the only two real situations that I lean on that uh, lighter weight. Most of the time, if I'm structure fishing, I'm on the three quarter. Mark coming in with an email question that he sent to Matt at Basson.com. He said, has Frank ever done a show on tail spinners, old school, little Georges or the current ones uh, like the Jackal, Derricoop? If not, maybe a topic. There's little info out there, uh, but not a heck of a lot. I've been fishing them for 45 years, and it's just one of those baits that seems to fly under the radar. I'd like to hear some pros talk about them. Thanks again. Mark with a C in Wisconsin. Yeah, you know, the, the little George is the one I threw first because it was out first. Um, and being a structure fisherman, I had to get on that game. Um, basically, I, if I fish it just like I would fish a blade bait, to be honest with you. Um, and I, and I, know, I know you can throw them at schooling fish and burn it through the schools um, because you can cast them a mile. So when you're running the birds, you can you can get clo you know close enough for the cast without pushing the fish down um but for the most part it's a structure fishing tool um i don't think people do shows on it because it's not it's not sexy i mean it's, it's just not. it's not it's just down and dirty um you're getting it down there you're banging it on the bottom you're you're lifting you're dropping you're slowly swimming it um the most success i've had with it is I just keep the bait banging along, lift it up, yo-yo it down, bang along, lift up, yo-yo it down. Um, that's pretty much how how I fished a thing. I would honestly, because I have not done it, obviously, I would like to see it on live scope. Um, I'd it's like to see pretty how, savage. Yeah, I'd like to see how the bass are reacting to that, and then you can adjust your weight to keep it above them. You know what I mean? I'd like to see how they react. In my opinion, a you could even throw like a like a uh, little slab spoon in there, but a tail spinner bite when you're when you're pumping it off the bottom and letting it fall and pumping it is the most underrated bite in bass fishing. Oh yeah, everyone yeah. wants to talk about top water. Everyone wants to talk about a jig and dunk or punching, but you know it's typically cold. They typically hit it either at the top of your stroke or as it's free falling. It is then chaos to get caught back up. It's a donk. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a slack line. It is one of the coolest bites, and you're always in a bad position when they bite. And it always seems like that first couple, you know, cranks and stuff is just total chaos. Am I wrong on that? Am I fishing it wrong? Or do you agree where it, it you know that deal where like your heart jumps, where you're just like brr, brr, 
donk, and you're just, oh my God, there's one. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's mayhem because you because you're 100 right. 90 percent of the bites come on the top or as it's falling, and if it's at the top, you're you're already way up here. And so you don't have a lot of room to go. So you got to pick slack up like a wild man while you're driving into them. And then, of course, if they hit it on the fall, it, it's like a jig bite. It just goes. Poof. It's savage. It's savage. Uh, yeah, we'll go with this one. I'm just curious on how you answered this one. <laughs> Where do you see the industry in five years? Do you think a lack of hard bait sales forces big manufacturers to close shop? And does the pattern of fishing move back to bank beating in time to save the hard bait and big bait companies with everything moving offshore with this forward facing sonar stuff? No, it's kind of cyclical. Um, the bait choices are cyclical. It's all predicated on tournament fishing. Um, and I'll give you the perfect example. Decades ago, long before our sonars got to the to the degree of technology that they are today, um, Fritz made a big showing with the pose crankbait and deep crank, and Paul Elias with the kneel and reel technique. Um, big crankbaits. When I say big crankbaits, I mean big build baits deep mm -hmm. divers were selling like mad. You couldn't make them fast enough. That's because the tournament game was focused around multiple seasons. And so you had a bunch of different techniques that took place. When the tournament trails started to change their game around the pre-spawn and the spawn, a whole new lures takes over soft plastics becomes the thing okay everybody's gravitating towards soft plastics because that's what they're seeing in most of the tournaments then they move and they start to go up north where the real fishing is and they start to go <laughs> smallmouth fishing okay where they start to have smallmouth come into play and then drop shot little baits and like Great Lakes Finesse, Beast Coast, you know, companies like that that are focused on that smallmouth game start to take a precedence because now they're going to Thousand Islands, Champlain, Oneida, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And so, so what you're seeing is you're seeing the tournament trails are actually not driving lure sales per se, but they're, they're, they're creating the trends. And so with the advent of now we're getting into the current time with, with live scope, okay, the, the, the Demiki rig is getting to be a huge player, um, you know, chucking out the jig heads on the, like the FF sonar minnow, for example, um, you know, chucking the jig heads out and the fish that you could see in front of you now. And so that now this whole other technique is taking into shape. So now we're going to see lures that are more focused on, on uh, live scoping or forward-facing sonar techniques, even jerk baits. Um, jerk baits have always, forever, been around. I mean, Smithwick was the one of the first suspending jerk bait companies on the planet, and they're still here today. But 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 forward-facing sonar is giving it breathing new life into the baits because there's they people are realizing that they're not. 100% just for the cold water period anymore, you know, the suspending game. Mm -hmm. And so, so now you're seeing guys fish baits year round where it was seasonal, you know, mostly seasonal. And so I think that's what you're seeing in five years. Where do I think it's going to go? God only knows because everything's predicated on technology and what, where the tournament trails are going. I mean, honestly, what I would like to see in a tournament trail is I would like to see 12 events a year, one event in each season, one event per month in each season, because then what I think is going to happen, guys that are more, um, you know, guys that are more uh, diverse are going to start to rise to the top. And you're not going to see like a site tournament, guys that really do it well, like back in the day, Shaw Grigsby was an animal site fishing. So anytime you had a sight fishing tournament, you had 10 guys that were so good at it 
like beyond belief good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, You knew they were going to occupy, you know, somewhere in the top 15 slots. Um, And the same thing with the forward facing sonar game. There's certain guys that are just so dialed into it that for the most part, because it's still fishing, but for the most part, those guys are going to be dialed in and those guys are going to occupy the top spots. So if the tournament trails would go through every single season of the year, well-rounded anglers, guys that really have the knowledge of fishing throughout the year, you'll see things start to change up on the leaderboard a little. I think you're seeing that. You see that in the opens a lot because, I mean, we start out in Florida in a week, but then we end on Hartwell in October. Then we go from Florida to Washita in the middle of Arkansas. We get a couple, we get a spawn event in Alabama. We get a summer event in Oklahoma. We get a northern event in Minnesota and on St. Clair. And then we get a fall event on the Mississippi River and a spotted bass event on Hartwell. That's a pretty well rounded schedule with yeah, nine I, events spread across yeah. seven months. Actually, I like it a lot. Yeah. Which leads to the next question. It says, Is Uncle Frank getting ready for his first EQ? Ronnie wanted to know. <laughs> just a scheduling deal. It just did not set up to the way you would like it. I feel like speaking for you, the dream is still there in the next couple of years. Should one of the schedules be in your wheelhouse, you're still heavily considering it just not this year because it's a long way to go for that. Those Northern EQs to go to Leach and Wisconsin and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I I'm at the state, like my competitive nature is brutal and i I have the mental battle all the time. Like, you know, we talk about tournaments. We talk about, because this is a bass fishing show. So we talk about this stuff. And there's events that take place that I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I was at that one. Uh, And and there's events that take place and go, thank God I'm not on that one. But Unfortunately, um, I've been at those. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I have this burning desire to do it, but you guys got to realize something. I did it for 11 or 12 straight years. uh, And um, my life's moving in a different path because Mm -hmm. it's hard to do this stuff and the videos and then compete um, because now I'm starting to gets spread out. So I like the idea of three tournament venue um, in the opens because it's only three events and it's manageable. Um, But then I'm the kind of guy that am I happy with three events? (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Because then I want to fish more. And the, and the more I, the more I tournament fish, the more I want to tournament fish. And it takes a lot of my focus away from other things. Uh, So it's selfishly really... i just want to see you in one more classic and get a whole day for uncle frank section up there and i want to see you roll in in a 2012 legend that's wrapped but it's <laughs> wrapped in the like like one of the color designs that you've created like could you imagine yeah. one of, like an ozark craw wrap on your on your yeah, that would be awesome it, uh, yeah i have a deep desire for for another classic. For I think sure. there's some, I think it's setting up to something weird. Like, I mean, we've got the whole show thing. We didn't expect it to take off where it's taken off. Like yeah, weird yeah. stuff happens. Uh, Derek is like quarter ounce. I'm assuming is that how much the little deep baby N weighs. You could, I, I don't have one problem casting the deep baby. And no, I think that I'm not a hundred percent sure. What do you, what do you throw your lighter, smaller baits on like the deep I, baby and the tie? Okay, so he said, how do you throw light cranks? It's real easy. I use a uh, Powell 725. I'm using a low speed lose reel and I set it up with 12 pound fluorocarbon and I have no issues casting it ever. It casts like a bullet because it's gel coated. It's heavy. Well, now, now we're just getting ridiculous. Cade wants to know if you know anything about drift socks for kayaks. My statement before you say anything would be is if you need a drift sock to fish out of a kayak, you probably shouldn't be out there in a kayak. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> they make so many different size drift socks. Yeah. Um, like if you go, if you, if you went to Lindy, for example, there's probably three different versions of drift socks in, you know, 12 sizes. So, so, you know, you can, you can just go to the, go that game. Um, and definitely watch the drift sh- sock show because 
because in that show, I explain how to slow your boat down enough um, and how to use it if you're going to cast and not have to drift over structure, but you're going to cast how you could drift down a grass edge or a bank or something mm -hmm. like that. So so you'll definitely want to get that. Uh, Nick would just like you to give up an OG Lake Erie trick that you haven't given up on the show before. Just one OG Lake Erie trick. It's it's January. It'll probably get buried in the archives. No one will ever remember it, Frank. Oh, big deep diving crankbaits, I would say. NXS, DD22, that kind of stuff. Norman NXS. Uh, overlooked. Very overlooked. But you appeal to a whole different food chain when you're throwing big cranks for smallmouth good stuff uh john with an interesting question is it beneficial for a fisherman to get a cat as you <laughs> practice in the winter reeling in cat toys on your different rods <laughs> i am not even gonna lie i have absolutely 100 percent done that 1000 percent. i got a little ice fishing rod and i load it up and tie a little what i did was i i made um you guys are gonna think i'm out of my freaking mind we i made here. i made mice patterns fly time no, listen no to me I made, yeah i made mice patterns and i use uh zonker strips rabbit fur and i make them look just like mice and i got leather and i cut little ears out tie the ears on and everything and so i made these cat toys and uh, of course you know i'm like oh well i'm just gonna sit in the chair with a beer and I'm going to cast the toy out and reel it in and let the cats go ballistic. So, so that's how it started. And then of course my daughter's, you know, comes back from California with her cat and she's like, Oh, my cat loves those little mice. Could you make her some? So I tied her a bunch. No and, hook, obviously. Oh yeah. No hook. <laughs> no big number two. Gami. <laughs> <laughs> they catch that mouse one time, one time and you got them. Um, <laughs> I know that it's obvious, but I just making sure. Yeah. So yeah, I've done That's, it. Can I've we can it. we get a lure net video on that, please? <laughs> the art of catfishing. <laughs> All right, back to the that. I'm glad you asked that. I was not expecting such a detailed answer. Uh, Remy, sweetie, where where do you find bait in the winter when you can't find the birds? Both seem to disappear for me on Gunnersville. Oh gosh. Okay. So here's the deal: when you launch out of your ramp that you're launching out of. The first thing I do is I have I have my 2D sonar on or side imaging and I'm and I'm idling out to the main lake. I'm always when I do this, I always go to the first river channel in the creek. If the launch ramps in the creek on the main lake, if the launch ramps on the main lake, I go to that river channel and I and as I'm idling around, I start to look for bait on my side imaging or 2D sonar. The minute I see the bait ball, the first thing I do is how deep is that bait ball? So let's say I, I idle off the ramp, the channel drops down to 28 feet, and the bait ball's in 12 or 15 feet. Now I know that I got to focus in that depth range. And then what I'll do is I'll look for my structural elements, secondary creek channels, et cetera, et cetera. Because a lot, at Gunnersville, a lot of the grass dies back in the winter, but it doesn't go away. So, so they'll relate to the secondary creek channels that run across the grass flats. They'll pull out of the grass, get in the channel where the bait is. And then if you get a warm day and the bait goes up into the grass, the bass go up with them. There you go. Uh, let's go back to Wally, who sent in an email question. Uh he would like to know your opinion on spray scents. Back in the day, uh, the anise oil and bait fish sprays were popular, along with the garlic sprays coming on a little bit later. Okay. I, first of all, I can't stand garlic spray. Um, Aren't you Italian? I, yeah, I am. I, I, I hate that fake garlicky smell. It doesn't come out of your clothes or anything. I don't want it near me. I hate it. Uh, um, and I have seen where smallmouth will reject garlic. What? Uh, yeah. Anise, here. Yeah. Anise. Um, I used to make my own um, fish formula with um, 
anise oil, um, mineral oil, and blackberry. Um, and and used to believe it was like the de the deal. Um, I'm a scent guy in impregnated plastic. Not so much spray. Not so much a spray on. Okay, there you go. And then he also asked, I'm assuming this is for me, he said, which Denali spinning rod is your go-to for drop shot, Ned Shaky, et cetera. Uh, there's not a discount code with uh, Denali that I know of this year. I can check and see if there is, but that would be the uh, Lithium Pro. Uh, I'll use two, but if I had to just pick one, it'd be a Lithium Pro 7-foot, four inch medium heavy it is a great all-around rod uh you can power fish with it you can finesse fish with it it's got the length for offshore it's got a fast enough tip to be accurate with it around cover you can drive a hook home you can also finesse them with it so that would be my choice my second if i was just strictly offshore fishing uh, or smallmouth fishing would be a seven foot uh medium action in the android series it's a 350 dollar rod but you buy one of them and you're good to go and it's a you know you want something that's a little bit higher quality so you can feel those bites and fight those fish a little bit more and have a little bit more uh give when you get around the boat with that medium action there you go all right uh this is this is great man because I don't, I don't get to see the questions, so this is good. This is yeah. good. All right, let's go back to another question. Uh, Brian has two questions uh, after the day four Texas rig show. What line size and what kind of line is best to use just for straight-up Texas rigging? Okay, so line size is going to be determined about the cover you're fishing and the depth you're fishing. Um, fluorocarbon all the way. I don't use anything when I'm Texas rigging, unless I'm punching, then I'm using braid, but fluorocarbon all the way. Um, I, I just want the least amount of stretch I can get away with. That helps you detect lighter bites. Um, and then I adjust a lot of times I'll adjust my line size like let's say remember in that episode i said if it's windy you want to go to a heavier weight right mm -hmm. so let's say you have to have a little farther casting distance maybe the water's super clear maybe the fish are a little skittish i need a really good casting distance but i can only do that with a 5 16th or a 3 8th i can't do it with a quarter so then i'll bump my line size up i might go from 17 to 20 or from 14 to 17 because the heavy the thicker line is going to slow your fall down so i can create the same fall rate i get with a quarter by bumping up my line size a little bit and going to a little bit heavier slip sinker and then his other question brian's other question was is there a crankbait that is the size of a dd22 with a swimming depth of 10 feet um the dd22 on heavy with heavy line <laughs> right well exactly so so essentially basically um what i do with the dd22 because i agree with you um they they quit making the dd14 um which realistically didn't get down quite to 14 feet that was the bait mm -hmm. you would want but the dd14 had a different build design than the dd22 so it didn't swim the same so what i'll do is i'll overline the dd22 I'll, I'll throw it on 20 pound line and you're going to cut you're going to cut four feet off of that thing in a second um and then you could fish it in the shallower zones um that i mean traditionally that's what i do uh talking about blade baits jigging spoons and tail spinners uh anthony mentioned how you tend to snag those up because you're fishing on the bottom and you lose a lot of them and then there's a little bit of discussion do you have any tricks to get those heavy metal baits unstuck so you're not going through three pounds of lead every time you're on the pond yes i do and i very rarely lose a jig and spoon if i'm especially if i'm fishing in the rocks now when i'm fishing standing timber sometimes i'll lose a spoon or two but the the thing i do when i 
when I snag it on the bottom is I, I immediately don't pull on it. The minute I know it's hung up, I stop it and I loose shake the rod. I loose line it. So I just shake the, the, the rod tip, loose line it, and the, the weight of the spoon will knock the hook free and then you can get it out. Or you can literally use a crankbait knocker, um, you know, the safety clip on a big lead arrowhead like it's a big yep. lead sinker with you could drop throw that down there you make the line tight hook it on your line and send it down there and then when you feel it go Doom, and it hits it you do the same thing you slack slack line it a couple of times and it could help dislodge it um that's what i'll do in standing timber um but if i'm on the rocks i almost always get mine um the big trick there is um, here, I'll just do this real quick. I'm just going to draw the top part of the spoon. Um, I'm going to have a, I'm, a, I'm drawing a, a split ring on it now. And I'm drawing my crane swivel on it now. And so here we go. Okay. So here's what I got. I have the split ring and yep. then my crane swivel. Okay. So, here, so here's why this is important. A, Show that picture again. You just drew that? Yeah, just now. That's impressive. Okay, so A, so what happens is the split ring to the crane swivel, and then you tie to the crane swivel, gives your spoon more freedom of movement when it's darting up left and right. So, so that gives it more freedom of movement. But when you hang it up also, it's doing the same thing for you. It's giving that heavy lead, the heavy weight of the spoon freedom to knock itself out of the rocks if you get snagged in them. Very nice. I'm not sure how you can answer this one because this is like multiple shows and it totally depends on how you're fishing, right? But have you ever done a show on boat positioning? And if not, can you do a quick synopsis? The quick answer to that is no. There's a long answer to it, though. There's a very long answer. So, can we do a show? Have we done a show on boat positioning, like for different scenarios? No, that, let's do okay, that. Put that down on the list. The dad bod angler with a great show suggestion there. <laughs> and then just save it for the entire show. And then we can go through the, the kind of different, you know, flipping. I think you've done how to approach a laydown before or how oh, to approach yeah, a blowdown. I which have. I guess would be boat positioning in a sense, but let's save an entire show where you can do some diagrams for how to approach an offshore spot, how to approach, you know, a cranking spot, how to approach, you've done a dock show. I know you've done it, but we haven't ever put it all together in a show on boat positioning or kayak positioning. Yeah. So, so while we're doing that, I just wrote down a, a bunch of perfect show ideas for that. Uh, here's a good one that you might actually have an answer to. Alex wants to know, do you have any quick tips for catching muskies? Had a bunch of followers, but no catches yet. Yeah, I do actually, because I musky fish a lot. Okay, so here's the deal with the muskies. Okay, everybody, the figure eight at the end when you're reeling in and you see the big tank following you, and you got to figure eight them at the side of the boat. Remember, remember, muskies in northern pike—they're long and thin, like a torpedo. That means they cannot turn around so much. They're most effective in a straight, fast burst. Where you look at a bluegill, a bluegill's like a plate. It could literally turn on a dime because of their body size. As you get into the bass, they're a little more longer, but they're still kind of fat. They turn pretty good. Okay, muskies and pike are like missiles. Their best form of attack is straight on. So when you're figurating them at the side of the boat, don't do little mini ones. Take the, take your rod length and go long sweeps with it and then hit it a couple times like that to make the lure dart in a straight line, you know, faster because that faster movement on the lure is going to create the predatory nature. The thing's going to think it's getting away. That's the main thing. The other thing I do, believe it or not, guys think I'm crazy. I downsize. I'll downsize my, my musky baits. Most of the time when I musky fish, I'm just fishing crankbaits. Um, anyway, bass crankbaits mm -hmm. for them. So just downsize a little bit. Swamp Pickin wants to know if we can get some custom painted blade baits from the mind of Frank Scalish. 
Okay, I'm right now I'm working on War Eagle Jigging Spoons. Um, I do have some custom painted uh, blade baits in the Head and Sonar that have been out for a while, actually. Um, yeah, let's see it. Yeah, there's... Are there's, they out on the site? They should be. I would imagine. Pull it up, see. Yeah, yeah. Head and Sonar. Oh, yeah, you've shown these before. Yeah. Is that yeah, one of them? That's one of them. I think that's uh, one of them. That's my favorite one of them. And that's one of them. That's one. The one in front of that's one too. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, you you locked up for a second, so we'll have to wait till you come back to it. There you go. That's another one of my favorite ones, right there. Um, that's got a little gold, purple in it, smoky back. Uh, that's that's a very awesome bait right there. So yeah, already there. There you go. Head and We're soda, there. but you are you are working working towards a little bit. We're there, man. Um John would like to know what is the longest stretch of time you've gone without catching a bass? You've had some stretches. Yeah, I would say from now until the ice leaves the lake. <laughs> it's the longest stretch. Um I, I've I've had I've had times where it's been well over an hour hour and a half before i got a bite i wonder um, if he meant like on a day or if he meant like a season of your life like did you ever just hang it up for a year never never i can't hang it up it's how i live okay and um, then on the water on the water i've had <clears throat> on the water i've gone without a bite for um a couple of hours actually dude um, no uh, there's no way there's had to have been days where you didn't get a single bite i've gone three yeah, yeah, yeah. days of you know official what? practice where i yeah, never no. got a damn bite no you're 100 percent right i've had days um where i didn't i caught one fish yeah. all freaking day long um th those are those are like in florida i went to florida we had 19 degree weather for three That's days great. in a row i didn't catch a bass in two days for two days um found places they should be but the cold front was so massive in florida they wouldn't touch nothing went back there in the tournament even though i didn't catch anything in practice went back there in the tournament and got, and came out of it with a check um even though you're not getting bit you're still better be learning stuff yeah um you know what i mean but uh hell, dude i fished a bfl in 2013 on grand massive cold front had been warm but we were on the back end of the cold front, so we got the shad kill down lake. And it was oh, yeah. like a confetti shad kill to where you could go to any dot. And the water looked fantastic. It was just 39 degrees. And you could go to any dock, any part of the lake, look down, and it just looked like glitter. So there yeah. was absolutely no reason to catch them. I practiced for four days. The air temperature was 30 degrees for the high down into the teens at night. And I had one bite in four days on a wiggle wart. And when I went back to start the tournament there, it was frozen where I caught that fish. <laughs> I went the entire day. I made a joke with a dude that I didn't know at the beginning. I was like, I might just jerk bait. This was way before this is 2013. I said, I might just jerk bait dock posts and hope to snag one. And he laughed. We get back in. He goes, dude, he goes, I snagged one jerk bait and dock posts right in the freaking dorsal fin. It was a four pounder and he top tend it. <laughs> Took two pounds to get paid out of 200 boats. Yeah, that's brutal, dude. That's brutal. Uh, here's a good question. Pete would like to know, he knows we need to do an on the water live with Frank. We got the lake. We got the fishery. When Frank comes to visit, we're going to go live next time. Weather permitting. Yeah, we're going to try it out and see, you know, it's a lot. It's all, it's about, you know, reception too. I mean, we have to be able to get the show. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're working some kinks out right now, actually. Lincoln, do you ever trick out reels with upgrades, handles, bearings, spools, etc.? Yeah. So that's a pretty cool question. So back in the day, like I used to take my Revo STXs and gear them down with Corrado gears. So I can have the castability of the STX. I mean, not Corrado gears, uh, winch gears. So I would have the uh, castability of the STX and and 
the low gear ratio of the winch because the gears were interchangeable and you got to you got to change more than just the big gears also you got to change the little pinion gear in there too but um yeah i used to do that and then i would add hand make put handles on them a little bit longer handles um i'm not a fan of the smaller handles in here i want a bigger handle uh just it's just more comfortable for me uh that way but yeah that's what that's pretty much what i do Don, uh, any news on the new Smithwick coming out with a quicker action? Christy mentioned it on his show podcast. Um, yeah, I'm not going to dive into that right now, but we're working on a lot of things with Smithwick right now. There you go. Uh, do you roll around with 25 rods in the box? Are out or in the box? Are you a guy who puts everything on the front deck as you use it, or do you keep a tidy keep, front deck? I keep a very clean, neat front deck. I hate rods everywhere. Um, it gets in my head, and I don't fish well. Um, I'll have probably 30 rods in my boat, all rigged and ready to go. And then I'll have probably four or five rods on my deck. Uh, as I start to narrow down the pattern, Rods go in, other rods come out. It's the best cold front bait. Oh, wow. The best cold front bait. That's tricky because it really depends on where you're fishing and what the makeup of the lake is. Um, jerk baits and crank baits, I really like. I like jigs. Um, flipping is really good if you're on grass lakes. Uh, so it just depends. There's, there's a lot of legs to that question. There's a okay. lot, a lot of legs to that question. Uh, when, if at all, do you use a loop knot? Okay. The loop knot, I use Demiki rigging all the time. Um, I don't employ loop knots all that much because I'm using a Norman speed clip, um, which gives the lure a lot of freedom of movement. So the loop knot's not critical, but obviously you're not going to use a Norman speed clip on a Demiki rig. <laughs> so I'm using a loop knot. Uh, here's a question about uh, crankbait rod length when you're deep cranking. Uh, talk a little bit about that. And then Andy okay. wants to know, am I giving up any depth throwing up my big plugs on a 7.3? Yeah, you are. Um, here, here's here's the deal, okay? Um, I traditionally, everybody knows I use power rods, um, but I am all, I'm I'm cranking with deep cranking offshore. I'm throwing a seven and a half foot endurance or a seven eleven six endurance, and we're just coming out with a new naked series, two new naked series cranking sticks that are going to be pushing that eight foot range, which I absolutely love. Um, and here's why you lose depth, deep crank and offshore depth comes on your length of cast to get the maximum depth out of your crankbait. Two things need to occur. You need a long cast to get it down to depth and it has to be tuned perfectly because if you're, any any moving bait like a jerk bait crank bait they have to be tuned perfectly to get maximum depth out of them if the bait runs a little bit to one side or a little tiny bit to the other side okay think of it like think of it like zeroing in a rifle like if if you're zeroing in at 50 yards and you're like oh i'm only a quarter of an inch off well how far off are you at 200 yards it becomes it becomes monumental. So if your bait's not tuned, it's going to run at an angle sideways and it's never going to achieve depth. So the length of the rod is critical. Like I'm using a 7.2, 725 for short range target casting with square bills because the square bill is going to dive down to four or five feet on a shorter cast and I need to be accurate. So that's when I'm going to the short rod. But anything offshore, seven and a half foot or better is what I want. All right. So uh, day four, number 130, and you can just uh, 
either go to the day four index or just YouTube or Google these in YouTube. Day four, 130 is all about the DD 22. Day four, number 78 is all about bomber deep diving crankbaits. And BTL number 74 is all about deep offshore cranking. Combine those three. There's four hours. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of, a lot of really good information on getting that bait down to depth. Yeah. All right. Let me see. Uh, besides the FFS minnow, anything coming down the pipe from LureNet for forward-facing sonar-inspired baits? Um, I can just tell you that we're always working on stuff over there. Um, I, there's a lot of things like I, I like I. Sometimes I want to pre-divulge, <laughs> and I learned that one. You don't want to do that. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't. Um, the only thing I can tell you is we're always working on stuff. I can't, I can't, yeah, I can't get into too many details. All right. Here's a good question about the blade baits. They, uh, they have that weird double hook in them. Some of them. Do you always yeah. change that to a treble hook? Uh, grimy fishing wants to know, are there any other good replaceable double hooks? Trebles make me lose blade baits in the river. Is that just a necessary evil then? Or, yeah yeah it is i i'm not a fan of the double hook um i will replace the hooks i'm if even if my blade baits come with the hook that's split in the middle you know how the treble hook's got a split in yeah. it i take those off i put little split rings on it and i put hooks on a split ring it gives me the ability to shake the lure free when it snags up and i can get most of them back the other thing I never do is I, I never use a, a 2X strong treble hook on a blade bait. Bend it out. Because you could bend it out. Um, I don't traditionally, like on the Great Lakes, okay, for example, I throw my blade baits on 17-pound fluoro, and I always throw three-quarter ounce blade baits. So I have the same fall rate as a half, but I got good line on it. And if I have to, I can straighten a hook out if I snag it and I can't retrieve it. Mm -hmm. um, on the river systems and, and inland, that's when I go to lighter line. But then I'm going to a lighter blade bait. I'll go to three quarters. I mean, uh, uh, I'll go to three sixteenth or a one quarter ounce blade bait. Really light. Keeping it light so I can feather it over stuff. Um you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a trial and error kind of thing, um, but I always put split rings on it so I can change hooks out fast, and I don't have to have specialty hooks for it. But I don't know the two the two hook system. It's just not in my wheelhouse. I just don't. Uh, explain the difference real quick between trolling depth and casting depth. Okay, so trolling depth. You can achieve way more depth trolling a crankbait because you can let way more line out and, and you're, you're, you're moving it for such a great distance. It's diving much, much deeper. Casting depth is what you can make, what you can get it down to on a normal cast. So this is where the rod length thing came into play. So if your normal cast is so many yards with a longer rod, you can add an extra 15 feet to 20 feet of cast to it now you're going to get your bait a you're going to get the bait deeper and b you're going to be able to keep it deeper longer so so that's the that's the deal with the length of rod but the trolling depth is um you know like i, I like when we go out when frankie and i would go out to lake erie and troll for walleyes all we troll is Norman NXSs, Norman DD22s, and and uh, Norman Deep Little Ends, and and on, with twelve pound fluorocarbon, I, I can get a deep little end down to twenty two feet, where I'm ticking the bottom. So, you're never going to get a deep little end that down on a cast. Mm -hmm. You got anything else? No. We're an hour in here. This was a good show. We had a little. We had some new colors that dropped. We had a, a steady stream of very intelligent questions today. 
Yeah, I I really dig the question and answer stuff. Yeah, Drunkwood had one that I didn't ask about. Would you rather have a year as the uh, massage oil guy on the Hawaiian Tropics bus or an eight-pound smallmouth? <laughs> I guess I just ask it in a way. <laughs> I guess you just asked it. Um, Other than that, they were... <laughs> I'm going eight-pound smallie, dude. Uh, yeah, I think I would. Smally. I think I would probably go eight pounds smaller. Uh, you can uh, all you can always get a girl, but you can't always get an eight pound small mouth. There you go. That's a great way to end the show. <laughs> all right, uh, we got anything planned for next week? I, nothing that I know of. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Oh, show the and end the show. Did you uh, did you get your hands on those those new booyah uh, one knockers in the new colors? Oh, heck yeah, I did. You finally got some of those in. We'll end the show with that, with a little show and tell. Okay, so here's the here's the Robin Egg Blue Belly. So these are too pretty to even throw anywhere near a rock. Oh, no, they're beautiful, dude. And then here's the Bone Belly. And I love the Bone Belly one because this is going to translate into shad real well. Mm-hmm. This is going to be real shaddy. Um, here's the Chartreuse Belly which is twisted and then here's the red one Ooh, that one. right that one. yeah right because don't forget they, you know they run like that and when they yeah. deflect up and they click up you get the red tip um which one am i missing that was it There's oh four. no i'm missing an olive belly one oh. i have the olive belly in here somewhere be careful don't don't put a hook in your hand and then here's the olive belly. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a, just for more. That is that. a strong color. Right on. So there they are. You know, and I got them right after the show, the last week. Yeah. <laughs> I literally got them right after last week's show, which was fabulous. <sighs> All right. Uh, you want to do it same place, same time next week? Yeah, let's do that. I'm in. Let's do it. All right. This has been another edition of Day 4 with the man Frank Scalish. We'll see everybody next week. Later.